empathy is the foundation of allyship. It's the foundation of diversity, equity, and inclusion as well. We, we can't be in someone else's shoes, but we can take the time, make the effort to really understand what somebody is going through. Technology is transforming how we think, how we lead, and how we win. From InterVision, this is Status Go, the show helping IT leaders move beyond the status quo, master their craft, and propel their IT vision. Welcome to Status Go. This is your host, Jeff Tun. Over the previous two years, we have discussed gender and racial diversity in tech. Today, we are going to talk about an aspect we have only brushed on in those previous conversations, allyship. How can we be allies within our workplaces for those who are marginalized because of gender, race, ethnicity, or even disabilities? Our guest today is Melinda Brianna Epler. Melinda is the founder and CEO of Change Catalyst, the host of the podcast, Leading with Empathy and Allyship, and the co-founder of Tech Inclusion. Welcome to the show, Melinda. Thank you. Great to be here. I am so looking forward to our conversation today. This is a subject that I know is on the, the top of a lot of people's minds, and learning mm-hmm. how to be a better ally is something that I think we can all use. But before we get to that, I know I mentioned several of the organizations you were involved in, but could you give us a bit of your background and what led you to where you are today? Yeah. Um, well, let's see. I, my focus my whole life has been on creating social and environmental change, really making a difference in the world, making the world a better place. And so I started doing that. Um, well, I, I studied cultural anthropology and then art. And I started actually as an, as an artist in New York and uh, as a visual artist, an installation artist, and, and quickly moved from that into filmmaking. Uh, so moved from New York to L.A., went to USC film school and, um, and then worked in the film industry for about 10 years, uh, mostly documentary filmmaking. I also did some more mainstream work, like worked on the West Wing and, and some other projects oh, nice. like that. And yeah, um, went really using the, the power of storytelling to create change. And from there, I continued to do that, but realized that I could do that uh, in a corporate setting as well, really helping companies, social enterprises, nonprofits, and uh, governments to create change through storytelling and behavior change campaigns. Uh, worked for a number of years uh, doing that with different clients and ended up taking a role with one of my clients as uh, the chief experience officer at an engineering firm in San Francisco. Did a lot of work in healthcare, sustainability, healthcare, um, reducing energy, waste, water, et cetera, using behavior change and storytelling campaigns. And when I was an executive, I found myself in an environment that was not inclusive to me. And I was the only woman in a leadership team of 19. And it was just not set up not set up for my success, not set up yeah. for somebody like me and uh, came across a, a number of barriers, microaggressions, the little things that people do every day to kind of chip away at your sense of well-being, your sense of self-worth and your ability to thrive and be a leader. And um, 
harassment as well, but it was more the little things that really kind of got to me. And at a real low point in that role, I realized that I started to do some research and uh, read an article about toxic workplace culture and microaggressions. And that's kind of where I started to kind of this aha moment that this environment is not set up for me as a woman. It's also when I looked at the numbers, it was not just me. It was any, uh, we had a high turnover rates for women and underrepresented minorities across across the board. And um, I started to to put some things into place in that company is not quite ready for that change. And I also realized that, you know, I, my role has always been to kind of have big impact, create big impact. And so I left my job as that executive and started Change Catalyst to really address diversity, equity, and inclusion, specifically in the tech industry, because the tech industry has such power in the world and increasing power in the world. And uh, right now, and back then, uh, I mean, that was in 2014, we really, um, we had a long way to go in terms of diversity, equity, and inclusion, and um, still do, but it, it's getting it's getting slowly better over time. So, yeah, Change Catalyst is where I am now as a founder and CEO. So talk to us a little bit more about Change Catalyst. What's some of the work that you're doing? would love to hear a success story or two based mm-hmm. on your work with Change Catalyst. Sure. Yeah. So um, we actually started out uh, with Tech Inclusion, which you mentioned, uh, Tech Inclusion Conferences and Career Fairs. Um, and in 2014, tech industry started releasing their diversity numbers for their first time. Some of the big big companies, Google, Facebook, um, started releasing their diversity numbers and uh, they were terrible. And uh, so there was a lot of conversation about it. And uh, from the White House and the SBA, we were my... Uh, partner, Wayne Sutton and husband now, and I were invited to a lot of roundtable discussions and um, with the White House, with the SBA, with FCC, uh, with lo- local tech companies as well, and found that we were having the same conversations over and over again about the problems, which are important to address, important to think about how did we get here. But we didn't see it so much focus on the solutions. And so we decided we needed to bring the industry together to focus on solutions to diversity and inclusion. And so we had our first tech inclusion conference in 2015, really working to bring folks together to talk about what was working, what's not working. We, a lot of people were doing doing diversity, equity, and inclusion work in silos. There was kind of a, at that time, diversity, equity, and inclusion was seen as proprietary and kind of a, um, you know, the tech companies thought, well, this is this is the answer. This is how we're going to get ahead of everybody else. This is our our differentiator, and and so we kind of helped break that down, and so that people could really talk about what was working and not, because we saw a lot of people reinventing the wheel and instead of kind of building upon the foundations and and growing growing the work. And so we continue to do our tech inclusion conferences and career fairs across the U.S. and and globally. And then we also have a, a, a consulting practice, coaching, leadership coaching, training and uh, workshops to really help, especially executives and managers and, and then across the companies as well to improve diversity, equity, and inclusion to understand their role in inclusive leadership and in allyship and empathy, which I think we'll talk about a little bit later. Yeah. yeah. Um, yeah, So, so we do a lot of work kind of individual coaching with leaders and helping leaders to really, you know, tactically understand what actions that they can take to make a difference. 
in their workplaces. And that's really where kind of think where we are now is we, we've talked kind of broadly, we've worked on hiring and processes. There's still a lot of work to be done, but the key is, is really coming from the top and helping leadership to, to create change. One of the aspects that I saw when I was looking at your website was uh, storytelling. It mm. has to fit so well into your background of filmmaking. How do you bring storytelling into the DE&I conversation with executives or teams? Yeah, you know, so many people grow up kind of with other people in similar backgrounds, right? And and that is part of the part of the issue is um, I, I'm not sure I'm, I may be misquoting this statistic, but it's something like 70% of white people grow up with all white friends and don't have people that aren't white around them. And as a result, we don't have the opportunity to build empathy. We don't have the opportunity to build understanding of what people are going through and the, the unique experiences that people are going through and marginalization and discrimination and um, the, the barriers to access and opportunity that some people have based on the history, based on our history, based on our historical oppression and um, and the systems that still kind of haven't changed as uh, because we haven't focused on changing them throughout our history. And so we grew up kind of thinking that that there is a meritocracy that we get where we are because of hard work. And, you know, as long as we work hard, we can do what we want to do in the world. And that's not true for everybody. A lot of people have to work 10 times as hard to get to the same places. And so storytelling is really a way to help build empathy and understanding when you don't otherwise have access to that understanding that really builds empathy. I recently heard someone say that ally should be a verb and not a noun. What I'd love for you to describe is what does it mean to you to be an ally or for someone to be an ally? Yeah, allyship is really understanding that imbalance and opportunity and working to change it in different ways. So whether that is learning, unlearning and relearning because uh, you know, our education system leaves a lot of people out and leaves a lot of history out. So we don't understand the historical context of why people are underrepresented, why people are excluded, why people are left out. Uh, it usually starts with learning, with unlearning, with relearning. And, um, and then, you know, doing no harm because we have learned from our families, from our friends, from society, some words that are not equitable, some ways that we might be unintentionally creating harm by saying or doing the wrong things. The things that can uh, keep people down, can can uh, harm people. Um, so understanding our biases and, and working to do no harm in that way, also looking at overcoming microaggressions, um, you know, the, the little sl everyday slight. We still have some racist, sexist, ableist language that we need to kind of learn about and not use, right? And and so a big piece of it is doing no harm. And then advocating for people and kind of standing up for what's right and, um, and leading the change ultimately is hopefully where people will end up is, you know, how can I create change in my organization? How can I create change in my industry? And of course, in our communities as well. What are some of the steps that our listeners could take toward allyship, to become that ally in the workplace? 
Yeah. In terms of what steps you can take, um, the first is to take a step, right? It is, is to, to not get stuck. It can be very uncomfortable to be an ally. And that's, that's a part of it. And just get comfortable with that discomfort, move on, take action, make a change, make a difference. That is one. And get over the fear because there is some fear that often happens as allies. And especially when you're first, first starting out, there's a fear of doing something wrong. But the problem is if we, if we don't do anything, we're doing something wrong. (laughs) We have to take action. I love that as the step, take a step. That first step is to do it. Uh, mm-hmm. I heard someone talking the other day about this was in a sales training class and, you know, being nervous to make a sales call. And that what they mm-hmm. said is when you really think about it, that nervousness or anxiety only lasts four or five seconds. Then you're into the conversation mm-hmm. and go. And I would think that that first step of being an ally has that same duration, right? You're nervous to start, but once you start, then you find out that it's really a lot about having a conversation and awareness. So it's that first step that's the hard one. So I love how you brought that out for our listeners. I love the name of your podcast also, Leading with Empathy and Allyship. How does empathy fit into allyship and why is that such a focus of your work? Yeah, well, I I really believe that if we all had more empathy for each other, the world would be a very different place and a much better place. So empathy is the foundation of allyship. It's the foundation of diversity, equity, and inclusion as well. We need to learn. We, We can't be in someone else's shoes, but we can take the time, make the effort to really understand what somebody is going through, see the world through their perspective rather than kind of the judgment that we might often approach people with. And, you know, if they aren't experiencing something the exact same way, we might judge them. And um, instead really, really taking the time to listen to their own experiences and, and know that they're unique um, that, you know, that we have some commonalities and we have differences and valuing those differences, a key piece of this. So empathy is really, mm, empathy is really listening and gaining insight. And then also the other piece of empathy is showing empathy, which we don't really talk about very much. And is so important in allyship is, I see you. I am working to understand what you're going through. I care about you. And and then, of course, as an ally, I'm going to make a difference on your yeah, behalf. Yeah. Is empathy something that can be taught when you're going in mm-hmm. and doing workshops or one-on-one coaching? Is it a skill that can be learned? Yeah, yeah, definitely, definitely. I will say that I learned it. I grew up in a family that... It was a, a kind of closed family. We didn't talk about feelings. We didn't um, talk about emotions. And and I had to spend some time in my 20s really, really working on building my own empathy and understanding. I, I definitely missed some opportunities in my childhood to be there for people because I didn't have that understanding. And so, yes, absolutely, 100%, empathy can be learned. So if you don't feel empathy now, uh, know that you can, you can change that. You can change that. Um, you know, there are lots of studies out there showing 
the ability to learn empathy. And for instance, um, in the med- medical arena, there's a lot of uh, work with nurses, with physicians on building empathy because it's so critical to their work. Uh, if we don't have empathy, then we might treat somebody very differently, right? And there's right. lots of studies that show when physicians are treating, when doctors are treating patients that aren't like them, right? in terms of race, gender, disability, they don't treat them the same way. And that's, that can be a real problem, right? So building that empathy is, is core in the medical space. And um, there's a study that shows that even if you teach um, a physician to wince when somebody is feeling pain, it can make a big difference. And in terms of showing that person that you care about them, in terms of you then kind of your neurons change as well as you start to mirror that uh, response. Um, so definitely you can, you can learn it. I like the example that you gave of the medical profession, because I think that can resonate with a lot of our listeners who might have experienced that doctor who is so clinical and doesn't connect with us on a human level when we're talking to them. And, and so they can feel that importance of bringing empathy uh, into the conversations so you talked a little bit about empathy and, and allyship as part of the first steps that one can take. When you're learning to be empathetic, what are some key steps or triggers that our audience could use to start to practice empathy in an allyship perspective? Well, I think one of them is you have to get outside of your own network Uh, because we often don't have friends that are of different races and uh, ethnicities, for example. We don't have, a lot of people don't have friends who are disabled or don't know that they have friends that are disabled uh, or LGBTQIA, people with different religious uh, identities. So part of it is getting out of your network. And that is, you know, through events. I do a lot of following different um, people with different identities on social media. That makes a big difference for me. Going to events, uh, reading, uh, thinking about um, what TV you're consuming, what movies you're consuming and and you know what are what are those movies and televisions um, programs telling you? about society and maybe, you know, expand on that. Think about other programs you might watch that are created by people with different identities, mm-hmm. <laughs> right? Yeah. So that's one key piece. And again, that's the storytelling, right? Is um, in, in terms of building empathy, but you have to go, you have to actively seek out that information because it's not necessarily around you. So, so that is one step is really um, to go outside of your network and learn and mm-hmm. listen and pay attention and understand people's unique experiences. Um, and that can make a big difference in terms of that, that doing no harm piece as well, because if, you, if you're starting to rethink your own language and, and hear different uh, language, and that can make a big difference in, in making sure you do no harm. Yeah, yeah. As people are trying to become better allies and practice allyship, You've mentioned a couple of times microaggressions. And I think sometimes microaggressions occur intentionally, and sometimes I think they occur unintentionally. Mm-hmm. 
what's a great way for a person to be an ally when they see microaggressions taking place in the workplace? Oh, well, um, there are some easy ways to kind of intervene. Microaggressions can be countered with microinterventions, right? And so there are some some easier things to intervene around. Uh, like if you see somebody is being interrupted consistently because women and underrepresented people with underrepresented identities are more likely to be interrupted. And so, hey, um, we didn't get a chance to hear Jeff speak yet. Let's give him the floor, right? And yeah. um, Or, you know, Marilyn didn't finish her sentence. Um, I'd like to hear what she had to say. It was It was important. You know, those are kind of easy things to do. Also, airtime and kind of in a conversation, in a workplace conversation, men tend to, white men tend to take up more space and more airtime in a conversation. And so if you're noticing that that's happening, open up the floor. You have to actively open up the space to allow somebody else to step into that space. So whether that is, um, hey, we haven't heard from everybody John, Show, and Janie would love to hear your thoughts if you have any here. I know this is important to you. You know, things like that can make a big difference. Those are some easy ways. The harder ones and the, you know, that's just getting over the discomfort and the fear factor are when microaggressions have more racist or sexist or ableist tone and kind of connotation and also harm. An example is often Black people in particular hear oh, you're so articulate, um, something like that, which mm-hmm. is, you know, when you're saying that, you're basically saying to that person, you're a, um exception to the rule that I see about Black people, that they yes. aren't articulate, right? It's not really right. a compliment. Right. It's a backhanded compliment. And so when you hear that and see that, there's an opportunity to educate someone. Um, there's so many different microaggressions. This is just one one example. Yeah. But, yeah. but there's an opportunity to educate people. And you can do it in the moment if, it's, if you've created that kind of culture where there's an allowance for that. And um, that's ideal because then that also recognizes that kind of makes the makes visible what is often invisible in microaggressions that invisibility is a part of the harm right so if you can in the moment interrupt and say hey you know articulate is i don't think that's a that's a compliment and here's what i have learned about it instead how about you might talk about what really um, did resonate for you in that presentation or something yeah, like yeah. that. There's an ability to educate someone as well yeah. on it too, is like, um, you know, if you want to take somebody aside and say, you know, articulate is something that often black people hear. And it's kind of the underlying comment there is that you're seeing them as um, an exception to a rule. So yeah. I know you didn't intend it that way. Here's what you could do instead. Uh, yeah. yeah. I like the idea of, pulling someone aside when that occurs to teach Mm -hmm. and shine a light on it. The other part about what you said that I I really liked, because I think those are easier first steps for someone who who might be insecure about speaking up, is when someone is interrupted to make sure that the conversation comes back to them and they have a chance to finish their thought. I think that's a skill of a meeting facilitator or even someone who's participating in the meeting that they can do to help in that area. And I, I think it also 
shines a light on what was going on and people mm-hmm. learn from that. So I, I love those examples. And I know earlier we were talking about empathy and allyship. And I've heard you talk about mentorship and allyship. So how does mentorship impact allyship? Yeah, yeah. And and, and to circle back a little bit on the few things that we talked about around microaggressions, just for a moment, is yeah, often yeah. those, you know, those those might seem like little things. But they're big in the scheme of a, of a career. If somebody never is able to get a word in in a conversation, that ultimately affects their career a lot, right? Yeah. It also affects your innovation and your ability to, you know, the, the, the value of diverse teams is that you have these diverse perspectives. But if nobody is getting a word in, you don't have those diverse perspectives and you don't get that value of innovation, yeah. right? So, so while they may seem like little at the time, they can have a big impact on both on somebody's career and on the team as a whole. Right. Um, right. So in terms of mentorship, um, yeah, mentorship is a piece of allyship. Going back to that networks that I talked about before, um, when people grow up without as many opportunities, with less access, they have fewer networks that give them access to opportunity, right? And so when you or I are growing through the workplace, doing our work, we have networks that we can lend to other people to give them opportunities. And so opening the doors uh, to your networks can make a huge difference for somebody, whether that is um, opening up new job opportunities they didn't know about, opening up your network for for networking opportunities, yeah. you know, whether that is different societies that you're a part of, different different groups that you're a part of, um, is that that invitation into that group can make a big difference. Then the other piece of, and this is, you know, uh, mentorship and sponsorship kind of go hand in hand. Uh, mentorship is is helping somebody with the skills that they need to kind of succeed. It's helping them to understand the opportunities that could be before them and helping them get there, right? Sponsorship is partly that, but also opening those doors, opening those doors to networks, opening those doors to opportunities in a a way that they wouldn't have access to. And so I, I do encourage people to kind of think about mentorship, yes, but mentorship also, uh, often people approach this as somebody doesn't have the skills that they need in order to succeed. And when you're young in your career, that is the case. Later in your career, that might not be the case. They may just not have the opportunities. They may just not have the networks to get them there. They might need you to lend your influence, you know, for, for a recommendation, something like that, rather than mentoring them and how to do that. They might know how to do it. They just don't have the, the opportunity. So sponsorship is more like um, Jeff standing up and saying, we need to promote Melinda to senior vice president because she has these skills and talents. That's right. That's right. Versus working one-on-one with Melinda would be more the mentorship, right? It's that lending that voice. That's right. Yeah. 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 Mm -hmm. That, That makes sense. Well, I know we've been talking a lot about action and allyship as actions that our listeners need to take. And one of the things we love to do on Status Go is 
leave our listeners with one or two things that they can go do tomorrow because they listened to our conversation today. Hmm. Melinda, what are one or two things that you would recommend our listeners who are tech professionals, tech leaders, tech executives, what can they do tomorrow because they listened to our conversation today? Yeah, I think one piece is what do you need to learn or unlearn or relearn? And so make a commitment today to do that, Um, whether that is watching a new movie, reading a new book, watching a new TV show that you wouldn't normally watch um, and change that normal normalization or going to an event that you wouldn't normally go to to learn and to unlearn. And then the other thing I would say is what can you do in your workplace? What can you do to make a difference in your workplace? Um, You may need to start with what diversity, equity, and inclusion programs are in place now. Can I be a part of that in some way? Can I be a part of a mentorship program or a sponsorship program? Or it could, if there aren't any, um, then it's time for you to advocate for it, right? Right. That's, That's your role is advocating for diversity, equity, and inclusion, Um, going to leadership and saying, this is important to me, and I really want to see this happen. And then, you know, the third thing, I know you said one or two, I'm going to say three, is we all all have, in in our work, we all can do our work more inclusively. Think about accessibility in your work. Think about inclusion in your work. How are you incorporating diverse voices and perspectives in your work? How are you making a difference that way? How are you um, making sure that your work is doing no harm and really um, actively being anti-racist, anti-sexist, anti-ableist, really thinking about your work differently? I love those. Those are all steps that we can take tomorrow to be better allies. So Thank you for those for those three suggestions. I appreciate that. <laughs> now, before we close, you have a book coming out uh, this fall. Can you tell us a little bit about that book and when it's going to be released? Yeah. So my book is coming out September in September. Okay. Um, and it's uh, it's called How to Be an Ally: Actions You Can Take for a Stronger, Happier Workplace oh. with McGraw Hill and. Um, and it goes deep into some of the things that we've talked about today and really each of those steps of creating change as an ally, building empathy for each other, doing that work of learning, unlearning, relearning, making sure you're doing no harm. And then the activation, the what can you do to make a difference for your colleagues, for your friends, for your uh, neighbors? Excellent. Well, congratulations on on the book. I can't wait to read it when it comes out this fall. Thanks. Thanks. Uh, Melinda, thank you so much for your time today and being on the on the show. I really appreciate it. These topics are so important to all of us in tech, and I appreciate you taking the time to educate us, provide us with some insights and some actions. So thank you. Absolutely. My pleasure. I'm glad to be here. Thank you, Jeff. To our listeners, if you have a question or want to learn more, go to intervision.com. The show notes will provide links and contact information, and we'll be sure and include the title of Melinda's book. Uh, Obviously, we won't be able to link to it until the book is published, but once that's done, we'll update the show notes as well with a link, but for now, we'll, we'll put the title there. This is Jeff Tun for Melinda Brianna Epler. Thank you very much for listening. 
You've been listening to the Status Go podcast. You can subscribe on iTunes or get more information at intervision.com. If you'd like to contribute to the conversation, find Intervision on Facebook, LinkedIn, or Twitter. Thank you for listening. Until next time.